Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy. Today, we're going to do some landmarks of Onco Farm discussion. Talk about maintenance pemetrexin. Uh, a few of you, <clears throat> maybe more than a few of you listeners, uh, enjoy uh, these these episodes where we go back and look at the landmark studies, especially um, to think about why we do what we do um, today. Um, so this is kind of a, um, a little history on that. Um, if you have not listened to the episode from, gosh, I don't know, two or three years ago probably, uh, it's called A Brief History of Pemetrexid. kind of goes through the... Um, uh, the prologue for this, which in, in like less than a minute I'll summarize, is that pemetrexid uh, was a darn good drug as an antifolate antagonist. We knew that it was as good as docetaxel in the second line setting for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer, but with much less toxicity when you give the folate, uh, folic acid and the B12 along with it, uh, and then the, uh, the, uh, the dexamethasone to prevent the, the skin reactions. Uh, and then we learned... Uh, in, in 2009, from this big paper by Scagliotti, that pemetrexid really did not work <clears throat> in squamous cell histology, and that kind of changed the, that there was a, that was a, um, a, a, a bifurcation, not a bifurcation, but a big change in how we thought of treating non-small cell lung cancer, we, we learned that histology mattered, and since then, uh, the treatment has become more fractured, whereas the algorithms before were very this, then that, then that, now it looks, it was linear. Uh, to put it uh, visually, where now the treatment algorithms are more like uh, the spokes on half of a wheel, uh, where things just go all different direction based on mutation. So let's go back and talk about maintenance pemetrexid. So this kind of picks up after that Scagliotti paper was published in 2009. We're talking about two studies today. We're talking about two concepts. One is uh, switch maintenance, as it's been called, and continuation maintenance. And we're going to talk about switch maintenance First, so this is published in 2009 in Lancet. Maintenance pemetrexid plus best supportive care uh, versus placebo plus best supportive care for non-small cell lung cancer. Randomized double-blind placebo, or no, double-blind phase three study. This is by Ciulinu. Uh, C-I-U-L-E-A-N-U is the lead author on this. The link will be in the show notes. So this is um, patients who had received... Um, four to six cycles uh, of platinum-based therapy was kind of the standard of care um, at this time. Um, they had to have received four cycles of platinum-based chemo. Here are the regimens they gave. Uh, and this is uh, a total of 650-plus patients. And they randomized two to one to either pemetrexid maintenance or placebo, right? So they either got uh, the most common regimen here was uh, Gemsys, then carbopaclitaxel, then carbogymcitabine, and those were all north of, you know, uh, 20 and 30% respectively. And then you can get cis-paclitaxel, e, uh, cis-docetaxel, ooh, or carbodocetaxel. None of those sound too great. Those were all, cumulatively, that's about 12% of people. So most folks are getting gemcis, carbogem, or carbopaclitaxel, right? So they get four cycles, and then they don't have disease progression. They are randomized to either pemetrexid maintenance, standard 500 milligrams per meter squared uh, every 21 days, or placebo until disease progression. Um, as far as patient makeup, these are mostly men, as you would expect, 30% Asian, which will be important uh, when we talk about post, uh, post-treatment therapy. Um, about a quarter of patients, 26 and 28% respectively by arm, were never smokers in this study. And this is around the time in 2009 where we are just starting to learn um, 
that there are kind of four attributes of people who respond to drugs like erlotinib and gefitinib, our first-generation EGFR TKIs. They were Asian, women, never smokers, um, and had adenocarcinoma uh, specifically. We now know that that was a patient population. It was highly enriched with EGFR um, mutated disease. Okay, So uh, these uh, 400 and 40 patients with pemetrexid randomized or 220 randomized to placebo, uh, they get the pemetrexid or the, uh, the placebo. So this is a concept that comes up, you know, a, a lot in, in oncology is, you know, should we, uh, someone has done well on a finite therapy, a finite number of cycles, should we go to the second line treatment or wait until they have disease progression? Um, there are arguments for both, okay? So an argument to to start the next line treatment right away is that you're gonna uh, maybe get ahead of the disease. You're gonna delay the time uh, to the disease coming back. And when that disease comes back, it is going to be a genomically more diverse disease because there'll be more mutations uh, and therefore likely to be more resistant to the next line therapy. Uh, the other argument is, well, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. They are doing fine clinically. Their disease hasn't gotten worse. Let's give them a break from treatment and, and maybe that has some improved quality of life. Okay. Now, this is a little bit different in non-small cell lung cancer because the standard is like a finite number of cycles in the metastatic setting. It's four to six cycles. This is different from almost every other metastatic solid tumor where for any study, it's, you know, arm A versus arm B and treatment is tell disease progression or unacceptable toxicity. It's not four cycles and then stop or six cycles and stop. It's usually a finite number of cycles. Um, and there has been, uh, you know, there's a, a study of carbopaclitaxel of four cycles versus until disease progression that doesn't show an overall survival benefit. There are some meta-analyses sh suggesting progression-free survival benefit from indefinite treatment um, compared to just like four or six cycles, um, but no overall survival benefit. You can you can cherry pick the data and say, well, the folks that that are doing well on treatment do better, and you're you're selecting for a patient population that is one tolerating the drug and has had response to the drug, so of course they'll do better with continued treatment. You would think, uh, and then one of the big limitations of of doing you know more than say six cycles here is the toxicity becomes too much, and patients often uh, will have uh, disease progression. Um, just because non-small cell lung cancer doesn't respond that great to traditional chemotherapy compared to, say, small cell lung cancer. All right, so what we see here, uh, as far as um, progression-free survival, we do see a very sizable um, improvement in progression-free survival. Hazard ratio of 0.5, uh, which is pretty good. You're looking at just eyeballing here, median progression-free survival. If that helps, you have four months to, uh, oh gosh, no, less than four months to six months, but the hazard ratio is 0.5, so... Uh, you see the um, the cap microbes really separate after that median. You know, if you were looking at 30% progression-free survival, uh, it looks like you're you're easily doubling that. If you look at 25% uh, patients who have not progressed or died, uh, you know, maybe almost tripling that that value there. So most of that benefit comes later after many patients have uh, have progressed. Uh, this hazard ratio for overall survival is 0.79, not all that robust, but I want to point out. That overall survival hazard ratio that has a p-value of 0.012 includes both uh, non-squamous and squamous here. And we now know that pemetrexid, because squamous cell uh, non-small cell lung cancers have higher levels of thymidylate synthetase, the main target of pemetrexid, that pemetrexid really doesn't work that well. And, and 26 and 30% of patients in these arms respectively were squamous cell histology. 
And I know what you're asking, well, what if you take out the squamous? Well, if you take out the squamous, that hazard ratio is 0.7. Uh, and again, like 75% are non-squamous. So almost all the benefit here is from our non-squamous histology. And we actually do see that. They report the, um, uh, you know, our median uh, progression-free survival uh, in the squamous histology is only 182 patients, which is actually a sizable number. 2.8 versus 2.6, basically the same. Overall survival numerically is better in the placebo group that had squamous histology versus pemetrexate. So this, you know, we, we now know this going forward, but I think it's useful to go back and look at this. Um, you know, at now, our current standard is not going to be a platinum doublet that does not include um, pemetrexate, although you can still find those in studies. Uh, patients in, in, you go look at the last non-small cell lung cancer randomized study you look at, Patients probably could get cis-PEM, carbapem, or they could get carbapaclitaxel regardless of histology. And you're seeing here uh, that benefit uh, of, of doing a third drug right away uh, in these patients. Now, if you're looking at overall survival, you also have to think about what is, uh, in this case, the third line treatment that people got after pemetrexid, uh, uh, and they had progression on pemetrexid or the second line treatment after progression on placebo. And 67%, uh, so two thirds on placebo got subsequent therapy versus 50%, 51% on pemetrexid. So more folks on the placebo got uh, a next treatment. 18% uh, got pemetrexid, 29% got docetax. We know those are kind of equivalent in the second line setting. So that's, that's almost half the patients got good second line therapy there. Um, 30 to 31% in both arms, um, got erlotinib or gefitinib. Uh, and this would have been an unselected patient population. Um, they're, uh, you know, these are not patients who we're testing for EGFR mutation that time. So perhaps that benefit in the placebo group, I'm sure it would be better if we were able to target at that time. That's one of the challenge, challenging things about extrapolating data from more than a decade ago into today's uh, into today's world when we have such rapid changes in what we know about cancers and how we know we should be treating them. Uh, we all probably know this, but I think it's useful because we have a pemetrexid versus placebo comparison. We get great idea on the tolerability of pemetrexid, which uh, anecdotally you probably know is great. Uh, you know, uh, all-grade neutropenia, 6% versus 0% with pemetrexid. All grade anemia, 15 versus 5%. Leukopenia, 6 versus 1%. Again, as long as you do that folic acid and B12 supplementation, hematologically, patients tolerate pemetrexid very well. The most common side effect here is fatigue and 24% with pemetrexid versus 10 in placebo, so certainly more fatigue. Um, anorexia, 19% versus 5%. Nausea, 19 versus 5%, uh, which is a little surprising. But again, pemetrexid, pretty well tolerated. We already knew that. This doesn't add to that. This was 2009, and this was called switch maintenance. So this was kind of the standard at the time, is you, you'd give them, uh, you know, a lot of folks would do carboplatin paclitaxel in the metastatic setting. Um, I'll also point out, back at the time, we had this thing called WET3B, which was treated stage 4. The new staging calls that stage 4, I'm pretty sure. Um, that was another an, uh, anachronism uh, of, of the uh, uh, more than a decade ago. All right, so that was switch maintenance, all right? And it had good progression-free survival benefit, and I had overall survival benefit, okay? After four cycles of platinum-based treatment, and that platinum backbone did not include pemetrexid in that paper, all right? So now let's fast forward to 2012. This is uh, Paz Ares uh, in Lancet Oncology, 2012. This is the Paramount trial, 
and this is continuation maintenance. All right, so this is maintenance therapy with pemetrexid versus best supportive care um, um, plus placebo uh, and bed supportive care after induction with cisplatin and pemetrexid for non-squamous non-smell. So these are mostly going to be adenos in this double-blind phase three randomized controlled trial. So we have uh, you know a large sample size here. We've got. 500 plus patients, good sample size here, randomized again two to one to Pemetrexid or placebo after they had four cycles of what they call induction, um, Pemetrexid and Cisplatin. And then afterwards, those folks are, um, if they don't have progression disease, uh, are, are randomized uh, or they you know, withdraw care, they're randomized to either Pemetrexid or placebo. So one thing that's worth pointing out is that in both of these studies, we are weeding out the really bad disease, the patients who progress on platinum-based treatment. And at least in the first study went over, they they were randomized within a week of finishing their four cycles of chemo, uh, and then they had basically three to six weeks to start maintenance. So they could have started maintenance, you know, exactly three weeks after their last treatment or up to six weeks later, in which time uh, the disease may have already started to take off if it's really aggressive disease. Um, now, unlike uh, in the other study, these are all non-squamous, 85 and 88% adenocarcinoma. Most of these are stage 4 disease, um, all of them as we would call it. Uh, unlike the um, switch maintenance study that we just went over, this continuation maintenance called Paramount, 94-95% white, so a lower Asian population here. And I point that out because at the time, we were thinking that Asian patients did better with EGFR TKIs. Now we know that it, that was because uh, that was a patient population rich with EGFR uh, mutated disease. So again, standard pemetrexid or placebo until progression. So our progression-free survival here is a hazard ratio of 0.62. Really nice, uh, robust benefit here. The median numbers here maybe don't tell you a whole lot because the median, you know, it could start from, you could measure median a couple different ways. They report a couple different ways, either from randomization or from start of treatment. Um, they give you a force plot here. Non-smokers did uh, appear to do exceptionally um, better compared to uh, smokers. A hazard ratio of 0.41 compared to 0.47, um, which is not necessarily surprising. Um, from a uh, uh, overall survival, as an interim is reported in this study, and it was not statistically significant, uh, the death rate was 25% and, and 21%. There is then, uh, in the following year, in 2018, there is a, 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 a publication of overall survival that does show that the median overall survival was 13.9 with maintenance pemetrexid versus 11 with maintenance pemetrexid. That hazard ratio is 0.78, which is modest. Um, that 95% comfortable is 0.64 to 0.96. So it, it's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, there is certainly benefit here, but it, it's modest, this maintenance pemetrexid in, in these patients. Um, now, after continuation, 58% um, with pemetrexid got third-line uh, therapy, and the placebo was 64%, so pretty close here. And you're seeing a modest, you know, overall survival benefit, um, despite the placebo group really not getting that much treatment. Most of them, 37% got erlotinib um, uh, in the placebo arm, uh, and I'm, you know, the... the um, because these patients are, are, are not progressing, um, slower disease perhaps, maybe the, the rate of EGFR mutations north of, of 5 or 10%, don't know, but it's certainly not 37%. So most of those folks, uh, the 37% of placebo who went on to get treatment, getting erlotinib, and the 31% with pemetrexid, getting erlotinib,
probably are not benefiting from that TKI. Um, 35% and 29% respectively, so about a third got docetaxel, good second-line treatment. So these folks are going on to get treatment uh, in more than half the cases, uh, which is good to see. Uh, but again, that, that post-protocol therapy uh, was not smart uh, at that time. It was what we thought was, was good at that time, um, but turns out that wasn't that smart. And again, that makes it hard to extrapolate uh, into today. So that is why today, if you look at, uh, say, any of these immunotherapy studies, right, they're, they're often going to do like carboplatin, pemetrexid, uh, followed by pemetrexid maintenance, and then your pembrolizumab, uh, you know, until disease progression. So um, we are, uh, this is where this comes from, this idea. Um, now, do you call this maintenance? It's really uh, empiric second-line treatment. It's really not maintenance, in my opinion. It's empiric second-line treatment. Um, you can do that with a drug like pemetrexid because it is um, very well tolerated. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do maintenance like cispaclitaxel or something like that. That's going to be, that's going to be too toxic. So um, that is uh, continuation maintenance and switch maintenance uh, of pemetrexid. Uh, thank you all for listening to the uh, to the podcast. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeep and follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at AquaFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember. Doses matter.